Okay, welcome to another episode of Talking Metaverse. I'm here now with Mr. Jeremy Dalton. How's it going, Jeremy? All is well here, Tan. How are you? Somebody asks you, somebody new, what do you do? How do you respond? <laughs> I say that uh, I lead the Metaverse Technologies team for PwC UK, and that involves helping clients across different industries to implement virtual world technologies such as virtual reality, augmented reality, and blockchain, and add value to their business. So it's a bit of a long-winded one, but it's about as short as I can make it. How I mean, in your experience, when you meet people that are not really in the industry. How much do they? How how aware are they about what's happening with the development of the metaverse? Um, I'd say not not very. Um, I think just generally there is a lot of education to be done for us and everyone else in the industry that's not in the industry. Who so yeah, I would say we're still at the very beginning stages of of trying to get people to understand what exactly we mean by the metaverse, and I'm not sure we're we're any closer to getting to a definitive point on that and maybe that's kind of the idea you know the metaverse is not necessarily a very strictly defined term but more of a an aspirational vision which lies on a spectrum of uh, uh, of virtual world type implementations in both the consumer world and business so can i put you on the spot and ask you give me your one sentence definition of the metaverse one sentence on the metaverse. So the metaverse comprises a collection of virtual worlds inhabited by real people who are free to explore that world and interact with each other. And in a way that allows them to create new experiences and build new digital assets. So the world is constantly evolving. How's that sound? Love it. Uh, especially, yeah, the first part, you said collection of virtual worlds. I like that. Yes, I think it's it, it goes to the point that we're hopefully not headed towards one single world owned by one single company um, that is that has a monopoly over the virtual world space or the Web 3.0 space, but more of a collection of these worlds that adhere to the, the 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 sort of vision of interoperability in that we'll be able to move assets um, and, uh, and and identities and data between those worlds mm. and that reminds me of one of my favorite tweets that you made recently I think we talked about it um, you did some research on can you talk about it the the one about the word meta and what you oh, found out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that was that was not research conducted by me personally, but um, it was... But you dug it out. You found it. I, I dug it out and I started promoting it because it was very interesting. It was actually done by a company called Sortlist and, uh, pr and I found it through Statista. Basically, it was a survey that was done uh, on a number of investors. So people that have have invested already in the metaverse and it asked those individuals or those companies what their definition or what they thought the metaverse was so most people <laughs> love this 38 percent said it's a virtual world and yeah that's you know it's a good start um though 
the disappointing thing is the next 21%, so the second largest group of people that answered the survey uh, voted, or the second most popular answer was it's Facebook's new name. So um, <laughs> unfortunately, it shows a little bit of confusion there. and Perhaps we need to applaud the, the meta uh, marketing team uh, for, uh, for, for promoting that and, uh, and combining in people's minds the metaverse and meta as a company. They seem to be conflated in a lot of people's uh, heads. I love that. So just, just to repeat again, a significant portion of people who are invested in metaverse companies think the metaverse has something to do with the company meta. Uh, is that yes, what it was? They think that the metaverse is Facebook's new name. Okay, the metaverse is Facebook's new name. Yes. yes. Awesome. About uh, 0.53% of people in that survey were actually being honest when they said, uh, I just don't know. Wow. <laughs> That's a surprisingly low number of honest people in the <laughs> investors. So, what do you think about that? Facebook being called meta. Do you think that's like, for example, Netscape or a company putting the word net or internet in their name 30 years ago? It seems to be fairly analogous to that. Um, but to be fair, I think a lot of companies did do that. As you said, Netscape Navigator um, did a similar thing. Um, internet Explorer, I suppose, took the name internet and attached it to another word, Explorer. Uh, so that's interesting, um, actually, if you go back in history and think about all these different organizations and how they've um, kind of adapted words that related to Web 2.0 or even Web 1.0 back in the day, the first generation of the web. And so maybe it's not as surprising as it should be to us. Yeah. And if, not just, you know, if you think about like the word web today, what company wants the word web in their title, right? Like <laughs> yes. something web or something net. So I'm wondering... It feels very dated right now, doesn't it? Exactly. So I'm, I'm guessing the metaverse, when it does appear, it's not going to be known as that. Or, you know, something new that we haven't seen. It might not even be called the metaverse. Yeah, it might just be... You know, it might just be the way that we uh, that we that we work and and live, uh, with no real name given to it, or even if a name is given to it, perhaps it's it's subsumed under the uh, under the original term of the internet, and it just becomes part of the internet. Um, I think there are a number of directions it could go, and and many of them may result in the term metaverse just completely being dropped as a sort of special way to describe this uh, third generation of the internet. Hmm. Okay, so now your official job title you used to describe yourself earlier, Head of Metaverse Technology at PwC. And that was very deliberate because the reason it's not Head of Metaverse is, uh, well, first of all, it's a pretty arrogant title to be Head of the Metaverse. <laughs> and uh, second of all, the, I think it's important to recognize that there are lots of technologies that underpin the metaverse. I mentioned a few of them before, virtual reality, augmented reality, blockchain. Um, and we don't, only, we don't only explore the metaverse as a, as a concept of a virtual world inhabited by real people mm. um, that can interact with each other. 
but we also explore standalone applications that use virtual reality and augmented reality um, and blockchain as well, you know, without necessarily any connection to a wider virtual world full of people. So I think it's important to distinguish that through the term metaverse technologies rather than the sole term metaverse itself. And the, the natural question has to be, what does PwC have to, why do they care about metaverse? So PwC's mission is all about building trust in society and solving important problems. And we work with businesses all over the world to do that. The reason why the metaverse is important is because it and its constituent technologies have the potential to solve a lot of important business problems and also to build greater trust in society. I mean, there are still some question marks over technologies like blockchain and whether that does indeed provide greater trust as a decentralized system over some of the, uh, the centralized models that we have implemented nowadays. But it is, uh, it is strong enough in the, the public space as a developed or a developing technology that it is of interest for us to, to explore, to experiment with, to introduce and test with organizations and really um, push the boundaries of what this technology can do in business to, 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 to um, really squeeze out as much value as we can for these organizations across different sectors. So really, it's all about adding business value at the end of the day. And these technologies are tools that enable us to create some very clever innovative solutions that can solve problems in potentially a better way than we've done so far with traditional solutions. Can we talk a little bit about your um, career as an author? Sure. So how many books have you written? So I have, I've got two books published at the moment. One, and both of them are on virtual reality, augmented reality technologies and business. One of them um, I was the editor of, so that is being published um, by Springer and contains sort of deep, uh, deep dive case studies on VR and AR applications across different industries. The other one is, is published by Kogan Page and this is called Reality Check. Um, and it's all about dispelling myths around the technology and also showcasing and outlining the value of the tech in business across all these different industries all over the world in a very simple to understand manner. So in a way that anyone, doesn't matter how much, even if you have zero knowledge, even if you don't know what virtual reality or augmented reality even means, you can pick that book up and you can get a good understanding of what it is and what it can do in business backed by real life case studies of different companies and different sectors all over the world. Do you find that people who, the people that you just mentioned, which ha, who have zero knowledge of what it means, do you think when they find out, is there an immediate pushback? Because I find that it's not something that immediately they think is um, something worth spending time and energy over. Yeah, I'd say when I initially talk to people, some people, um, definitely I get pushback and skepticism. And you'll always you'll always find groups of people with that view. Uh, the I guess in a way that's why I have the book written because it condenses all of the supporting evidence 
from so many different places and, and so many different arguments together in one place for people to get a better understanding and hopefully reduce or eliminate a large part of that skepticism. So what's the most common skeptic argument? Is it the fact that it's a game, entertainment? I'd say that is probably, that's a real key one, yeah. The, most people think it's just a entertainment or a gaming device or technology. And the reason for that is understandable. Most of what people hear about the technology in the mainstream media is that it is, uh, it's, it's a gaming or entertainment medium. So with augmented reality, you used to hear about Pokemon Go quite a lot. With virtual reality, uh, Beat Saber, uh, obviously a very famous example in the mainstream media. Um, or you see uh, YouTube videos of, of uh, VR fails, so people with a headset on that are falling flat on their face because they they got confused in the, between the virtual world and the real world. So, um, yeah, I mean, everything, anything that's humorous um, or sort of super exciting or novel or fun gets gets pushed in the media and people pick that up and they ascribe uh, that view to VR and AR as a result. But the fact is it has so many applications in business, they just don't get talked about in the mainstream media because they're not really fun, exciting or viral worthy. Yeah, exactly. So can we go back a little bit to how you first, do you remember your first experience with AR or VR? Like what what made you first excited about this? So I can't say that I had a grand plan from a young age, but the very first time I actually tried virtual reality was in the, must have been the mid 90s. And it was in Dubai uh, where I, I grew up. And there was, it was an arcade that had set up. It was kind of like an arcade pop-up that had set up in a shopping mall. And this guy, I remember what the machine looked like. It looked like one of those machines that was produced by Virtuality Systems. Uh, or W Industries produced a group of systems called Virtuality uh, in the 90s. And this was actually a company out of Leicester in the UK. Uh, these were kind of the first foray into mainstream virtual reality as an entertainment device. And I'm pretty sure this was a reskinned version of one of their uh, systems, or it was a knockoff, one or the other. Either way, I was inside this thing, I was standing up, I was wearing one of those super chunky heavy headsets with the with a whole octopus rig of pipes coming out of it. And uh, I had a, a single controller in my hand with a trigger, and I think a button at the thumbstick. If I remember correctly, that was actually, it was, it was a six-doff controller and a six-doff headset, which was very impressive for the time. Uh, no doubt the system cost, you know, maybe even $100,000 potentially. But I had a great time uh, playing what was probably something equivalent to a futuristic Wolfenstein. So really sort of pixelated graphics, sprites for enemies, um, and uh, pretty laggy. I'm surprised I didn't fall sick after it. But You said, you said mid-90s, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Wow. And then from there, like, so you remember that? I remember that, but that didn't really, that wasn't sort of the moment when I said, yes, I'm going to specialize in this. Yeah, there's, there's no career in this yeah, back then. No, I, actually, uh, <laughs> I actually started my career at PwC in 2011 as an auditor, believe it or not. And I Amazing. then did a whole range of things. I did business recovery. 
for a few years, I did innovation consulting, both internally in PwC and externally with clients. And then since about 2013, I started to, um, this was around the time when Palmer Lucky put the DK1 on Kickstarter, the Oculus Rift DK1. Um, this was, that was in 2012. So around that time, 2013, maybe, I started campaigning in PwC for, um, uh, to start up a dedicated virtual reality, augmented reality division. And it took a, it took many years. It took until 2017. But in 2017, I was finally given the remit to run this dedicated virtual reality and augmented reality team in the firm. And uh, the rest is history. We now have a, a, a large team here in the UK, which is supported by colleagues in the US, in Italy, in the Middle East. Uh, and we've got a great global uh, connection between all these teams going on. And in fact, just uh, a few weeks ago, or back in uh, May 2022, I was in Dubai for our annual XR Summit, our third annual XR and Metaverse Summit, as we now call it. Um, and that brought together 14 different territories from around the world to align on the value of the Metaverse and XR technologies and what it can do for business. So things have grown certainly in, in the last uh, decade and it's been, uh, it's been a really amazing journey and hopefully it will still continue for many years yet. Wow, and you were, you were an auditor. What working for PwC and you were pushing for Meta PwC to look into this in 2013. I mean, that's, that's forward thinking. I mean, you, you, that's very visionary. Maybe, maybe, I mean, maybe I give myself or maybe you give me too much credit, Tan. I think maybe it was less visionary and more that I wanted to do more fun stuff and less auditing. <laughs> awesome. And th thankfully, I fell into the, uh, the, the right technology in the end. Hmm. Okay, so forward, what, what's required from your opinion? What's the next step that needs to happen for just the next step that needs to happen for, for it to become ubiquitous? Yeah, so for the technology to really be adopted at the next level, and don't get me wrong, the, the technology is on a, a good adoption curve. You know, we can see the growth there. Standalone headsets were a massive inflection point in the growth of the industry. Um, so for those who don't know, to get a good VR experience back in the day, you had to be connected up to a powerful computing system. So either a computer or a console or something. And those were called tethered systems. And then came along standalone systems like the Oculus Quest 1. And that opened up a whole new world because all of a sudden it became simpler and cheaper to have a good virtual reality experience. So I think that was massively important. The next step, I think the next inflection point is going to be in terms of the, the usability and comfort of the headsets. So I'm talking about a minimization in the size of the headsets, an increase, therefore, in the portability of it, better uh, weight, so either lighter or, or better weight distribution between the front and the back. Um, we're looking at things like making it easier for glasses wearers, so uh, potentially being able to change the, the diopter on each individual lens by, uh, by adjusting um, the... Uh, the, uh, the handle on each one. And then perhaps we're also looking at small things like being able to flip up the visor to quickly uh, change between the real world and the virtual world. Um, other interesting elements might include um, things like uh, arranging, there are small things like in some of the newer systems, you've got fan noise 
which takes you out of the immersion. I think that needs to be resolved. Uh, you've got situations like um, the battery life. I mean, two hours uh, is is not good enough. Currently, it's not a massive issue because it, it gets uncomfortable before two hours anyway. But I think in the future, we'll definitely need to have ba a battery life longer than two hours, which is going to be tough given that virtual reality is all about running a screen constantly at a high refresh rate. But I have faith in the in the engineers of our world uh, to to bring something interesting to light. Hmm. So you think? Do you think we're going to be spending more and more time in a virtual world? If the technology allows it, do you think people will spend? Like, where's the limit? How, what do you I think see? so. I think so. Um, I think if you consider that Web 3.0 is the next generation of the internet that we're all moving towards, don't get me wrong, virtual reality headsets are not a mandatory component of that world, but it's certainly the most immersive element, immersive way to experience the metaverse. Um, so I think a lot of people will want to have that that high level of immersion of fidelity, that sort of next generation or next level experience. And I think that will that desire will drive um, a greater amount of time spent in these headsets, even though you can access the metaverse on desktop systems too. What is it about escaping this world to an alternative reality that attracts humans? Have you thought about this? You must have. Yeah, I do think about this. And I think um, I think it's quite easy to understand, actually, when you think about things that we do in our everyday life to escape. I mean, some people read books and they get immersed in worlds through the text on pages. Some people watch films and they get engrossed in the story presented by um, this incredible picture and sound system. Um, some people get lost in their own mind where they conjure up pictures and worlds and daydream about things. And all of these are a form of escapism that are very natural and increasingly becoming a, a part of our modern world. Um, and this is kind of the next generation of that. This is the way to take that to the next level. So I think there's something inherent in human beings to want to escape reality. And this technology can assist with that. Saying that, it sounds very dystopian, but as with all things, there's a, there is a balance uh, to be had and everything in moderation at the end of the day. So I would be disappointed if people spent you know, 12 hours a day in virtual reality, but equally, I don't think there's anything wrong with spending a few hours a day in VR. Yeah, it does sound a little bit sad if we use the words escaping reality. I like to see it as exploring an alternate reality. Exactly. I think that's a good that's a good way to think about it. And it makes it sound like our world is not worth living in, which I'm sure you could take the view on uh, based on things that are happening all the time all over the world. But there are always good things to uh, to think about in the world as well. And I'm, I'm an optimist in general, so I tend to concentrate on those good things. And I think the technology, at least virtual reality, is tends to be a very... Uh, a very agnostic technology in that if we if we don't uh, if we don't take into account the the uh, the sort of motives of 
some business decisions behind it. So the, the things that are coming to my mind are, you know, potentially things like advertising in virtual reality to increase revenues from organizations that are connected to that world. If we if we don't consider those principles, but consider the technology just on the basis of, of by itself in terms of this is a way to immerse yourself in alternative realities or alternative worlds. I think it's a very agnostic form of escapism that there's there's nothing wrong with on the surface as long as we control and safeguard against the dangers in the right way. Hmm. And then you have to notice the obvious path we're on, which is we're trying to recreate we're trying to recreate reality, right? In, in higher resolution, more detail. So then the obvious question becomes, what if this is already created? <laughs> the old simulation theory. Yes, yes, yes. And to be honest, I've, I have thought about that as well. And uh, my personal opinion is who cares? If, if this is a simulation, it's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty good one. Um, as long as you are enjoying yourself, uh, what's what's the issue? Whether it's a simulation or not, does it really make a difference to your everyday life? And even even if you were guaranteed, even if you were if it was proven that we are living in a simulation, what can you do about it really, other than to make the most of your life within the simulation? So that's that's what I'm trying to do at the moment. I'm trying to make the most of my life in a potential situation simulation. Yeah, great, great point. So, you know, if it's a game, then play it well. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And get the high score, get all the achievements, have all the experiences, and then bow out until uh, until version two releases. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so last couple of minutes, can you tell me um, what's in the immediate future for you personally off of pwc like what are you working on right now anything that you can share so yeah I, I, right after this uh, this recording i'm gonna go upstairs to, in our our more london office and i'm going to investigate um how our uh, uh testing of a portable volumetric capture system is going so for those who don't know volumetric video is a form of media which effectively records a three-dimensional princess layer yeah yeah exactly like a like a hologram but one that you can import into a virtual reality experience an augmented reality experience um, a 3d application of any sort so we're trying but usually to get really high quality volumetric captures you need to go to a dedicated studio what we're trying to figure out is can we produce we'll never produce that level of quality using you know the the eight or so cameras that we have for this portable system because studios will use you know 100 plus cameras but if we can get it to a level which is decent then that could be an interesting part of the volumetric video market for us so that's something we're exploring and i want to test upstairs right after this oh man what a fun way to spend an afternoon <laughs> i'm looking forward to it very much well, Jeremy, thank you for taking the time to do this. I don't want to hold my you pleasure, up from, from having the fun afternoon. So No worries. I'm just I'm on the edge of my seat already. <laughs> awesome. Well, I, I hope to uh, see some updates on that. Are you going to tweet some? Oh, yeah. I'll put something else on social media, definitely. Cool. We'll be looking out for it. Thanks, a Thanks lot, again, Thanks. Jeremy. Been a pleasure. No worries. Bye, everyone.